Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 25 Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting on in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion and has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Thanks, Emma, and good evening to you all. It's very good to have you here tonight. Um, Do keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians 7. It's on page 1149 in these Bibles if you just close them. And you'll also find a handout like this one in the bundle you received on the way in. You might find that useful to have uh, uh, to hand the next few moments. Let me pray for us all as we look back at God's Word together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for giving us your son to die on the cross. We thank you that your son will return for us as his bride. And please help us tonight to think through what it means to be a people who wait for Christ and who are ready for his return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I've discovered about married life is that um, you tend to watch more romantic comedies, um, a lot more so than you used to as a single man anyways. It's, it's not all bad, though. Um, 
uh, watching rom-coms has helped me to, to engage with some of the stories that our culture tends to tell about relationships. And uh, you know how the story goes in the rom-coms. There's, there's a guy and there's a girl, and they are living separate and unhappy lives. Something's not right. Something's not complete in their world. And then there's the random meeting. They fall in love. But then a crisis occurs. There's some misunderstanding, some miscommunication, and things seem to be unraveling, and we're all going, no! But then, just at the end, there's a way back. They're reconciled. They kiss. And at the final scene of the film, they walk off hand in hand into the sunset, happily ever after. You can tell I've been watching quite a few rom-coms, can't you? Now, look, I know that uh, more recently, rom-coms have become a bit less fashionable because uh, often life doesn't turn out that way and people become more cynical about what to expect from relationships. But even still, behind this cynicism, there is a longing, I think, for each of us that our lives would turn out that way. We long to be that person holding the hand of someone next to us who we are madly in love with as we head off into the sunset happily ever after. For those who are single, this can make being single almost unbearable. Perhaps not early on, but as the years go by and as those around us begin to pair off, we start to panic thinking that we are missing out on our chance to live happily ever after in this life. And for those who are married, this happily ever after storyline that our culture tells us, it can so easily leave us with thinking that the goal of marriage is my own personal happiness. It can leave us with a very self-centered view of marriage, but also with great disappointment because there isn't anyone in the world who can guarantee us a happily ever after story. Tonight we're going to see that God has a story that truly does end happily ever after for his people, but it's not the Hollywood story. It's much better than the Hollywood story. And verse 25 sets the scene for us. Look at verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In this final section of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is addressing now Corinthian Christians who are not married, but who are wondering if they should marry or should they stay single. Paul writes to help them make a wise decision. And tonight we will see that Paul is, is very positive about marriage as he has been throughout this whole series. Paul is for marriage. But the big shock tonight is that Paul is also very positive about singleness. Both marriage and singleness are good options for God's people. There is freedom about what we choose in life. But within the freedom, Paul wants the Corinthians to bear in mind a crucial perspective on life. And tonight, whether we are single or married, we desperately need to hear the perspective Paul gives us because it's radically different from the world around us and radically different from Hollywood's version of life. So, to those trying to decide whether to get married, whatever you decide to do, remember first, this present world is passing away. 
Look down at verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. There's a walk I like to do with a dog up in the Mayfield Valley, and at one point there's a steep climb up a hill, and then at the top you break out of the trees, and if you look back behind you, there's a great view looking out over Sheffield City Centre, and on particular days when the air is crystal clear and the sun is out, as you look down over Sheffield, it seems so close to you that you can almost reach out and, and touch the city. I mean, you can't, obviously, but it, it's that close to you. And that is the sense of verse 29. Paul is talking about the return of Christ. The time is short. His return is so close. It's as if you could reach out and touch it. It's just in front of God's people. And when Christ returns, everything about this world will change. Look at the verse, uh, end of verse 31. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. It's very easy to forget this. This world around us seems so permanent. It's all we've ever known. And yet, Paul says it's passing away. When we make big decisions in life, when we plan our future, it's so easy not to plan thinking that this world will pass away. And it's this context that helps us to make sense of verse 26. So Paul says, because of this present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Paul doesn't tell us what this present crisis is. It, maybe it's a famine. It could be some economic downturn. We, we just don't know. But when Paul talks about a crisis, he's talking about a bigger story. Christ is about to return. But until he does, we live in what the Bible calls the last days. And the last days will be marked by hardship and crisis. This world is groaning, longing to be put right. And one of the ways that God reminds us that this world is not permanent, that we need a new creation, is through this groaning and hardship of the last days. Imagine you're watching someone trying to land a canoe on a beach. And out in the bay, there's a gentle swell, but it's not too rocky or too difficult. They paddle along um, relatively calmly. But you know how it works. As they get closer to the beach, the, the water level becomes more shallow, and the gentle swell becomes rolling breakers. And often it's the final 100 meters before you reach the beach that are the most perilous, the most rocky and difficult you often see a canoeist really struggling in the final 100 meters in the surf before they land on the beach. And so too with the last days. Christ will return. We will make it safely to be with him. But the last days, the, the bit just before he comes back, they're the ones that will be the most rocky, the most difficult to get through. And we still live in the last days today. And so for us, now too is a time of crisis. Whether it's climate change and the impact on our uh, weather, a coronavirus spreading around the world, life after Brexit, wars and famines taking place around the world, all of these crises remind us that we live in a world that is groaning, longing to be put right. 
And we live in that part of history, that little sliver of time just before Christ comes back. He could come, come back any moment. And Paul's advice, verse 26. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Paul underlines at the point we saw last week, for married couples, they should not divorce. But his focus now tonight is on those who are single. Uh, there is freedom here, he says. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Marriage is good. It's a good gift from God. It's not wrong to aspire to be married. It's not a sinful decision to become married. But because now is a time of crisis, look at what Paul says in verse 28. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. If you are that person in the canoe paddling towards the beach, it's one thing to try to get yourself safely through the rollers onto the beach, but it's even more worrying if you have a spouse and young kids you can't swim who are also with you in the canoe. There's much more to worry about then. And because now is a time of crisis, to get married, to take on a family, will lead to, to more reasons to be worried rather than fewer reasons. This puts a pin in the Hollywood balloon, this promise of a happy ever after story with a person of our dreams. The reason why that story never truly ends happily ever after is because of where we are in history. We live now in a time of crisis. Christ hasn't come back. We live in a broken world. And in this time of crisis, people lose their jobs, houses get repossessed, people get cancer, and the children get bullied at school. And a word to the married, marriage is a wonderful gift from God with many blessings. But I also wonder how transparent we are in an appropriate way with some of the realities of married life. There's a sense in which we want our marriage to be the Hollywood version of happily ever after, and there's a pressure to make our marriages look respectable on the surface. But in every marriage, there are hard things and reasons to worry, and it can be helpful in the right context, not to bear all, but to be transparent about the reality of the worries that come with married life. It can be a great help to those who are single to know that marriage also brings worries in this life. Please don't mishear me. Paul is not anti-marriage. It is very good indeed. But whatever you decide to do, remember, this present world is passing away, and for now we live in a time of crisis. So marriage may actually increase worry, not reduce it. We live in a time of crisis, but also we live in a time of preparation. So look at verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. It's a very striking verse. Paul can't be saying that married couples should divorce. He's just said they shouldn't divorce. But what he is saying is radical. When Christ returns, human marriage will come to an end. Married couples must not make their human marriage now 
and ultimate thing. And it's only for a moment in the spread of history. And so we must hold our human marriages lightly, knowing they'll come to an end. But not just marriages. Verse 30, the mourning that comes from this broken world is not the final word. It will come to an end. The joys that come from this passing world will also come to an end. We'll look at verse 31. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, or a bit earlier on, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. You see, in all areas of life, the new phone, the new house, the bank balance, we must hold all these things lightly, not putting our roots down too deeply into this world that is passing away. Now is a time of preparation, living in this world, but preparing for the new creation to come. And one question that single people can grapple with from time to time is whether it is right to go searching for marriage, whether it's okay to be proactive and looking around for a spouse, whether it's in our local community here or online using apps or whatever it is, how proactive should we be to want to be married? Well, there are some helpful principles here. Marriage is good, and a longing to get married is not a sinful longing. It is an area of freedom for us. But we must also be careful. In searching for marriage, it's easy to become fixated on marriage, to, to begin to idolize the thought of being married. And it's crucial for all of us to remember that human marriage, it won't take away worry, it may increase it. And more than that, human marriage does not last. It must be held lightly. If we do idolize marriage, we can then put unbearable pressure on a future spouse to bring us the happily ever after ending we long for, a pressure that no person can bear. And also, if we are desperate to get married, that can result in unwise decisions. So, for example, in verse 39, Paul is very clear that a Christian must marry someone who belongs to the Lord, that is, another Christian. But it's very easy to ignore that if we're desperate to get married. Another problem with idolizing marriage is that it can make us feel like life is on hold until we get married. And it's very easy to miss the opportunities that singleness provides us with. And that takes us to our second point. Whatever we decide to do, remember, this present life is a chance to serve. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now look, Paul is not playing top trumps between marriage and serving in marriage and singleness and serving in singleness. He's not saying which one is better, let's work it out. No, both are good, but they are different. Both are about service, but are service in different ways. So marriage is about service. The husband is concerned with how he can please his wife. And this is a very good thing indeed. 
In Ephesians 5, Paul will say that husbands are to sacrificially love their wives just as Christ sacrificially loved the church. And when a husband puts the needs of his wife first out of love and in a costly way, that is a very, very good thing indeed. And for those who are married, please don't be so busy serving the Lord at church or leading a small group or on so many rotors that we neglect the very important God-honoring responsibility of looking after the needs of our spouse. For many, we will experience at times some tension in what we should do with our diaries. As Paul puts it in verse 34, our interests will be divided. Should I go to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night or should I stay home and look after my spouse? It's not always clear cut. Both are good things to do. And in that sense, marriage makes life more complicated, not in a bad way, but marriage does change our opportunities for service. And he wants the Corinthians and us to know this. But notice, singleness is also about service. Verse 34, singleness means we can be concerned about the Lord's affairs. Verse 35, it means we can live with an undivided devotion to the Lord. Sam Albury, in his excellent book on singleness, and there are still are some copies on the, the bookstore if you want to buy one afterwards. And Sam gives some really helpful examples of how he, as a single man, is able to use his singleness to serve in ways he wouldn't be able to do if he were married. He is able to go and speak on weekends away without wondering and being concerned about a spouse that he would leave at home. He's more flexible about when he can serve. He doesn't have to be at home between 5 and 7.30 each evening for the kids' meals and bath times. He could be out and about if he wants to. He can be spontaneous. If a friend calls and they're going through a sudden crisis, he can drop everything and he's more nimble. He can go out and see them without having to rejig diaries. Logistically, it's just more straightforward. Getting a young family out the door can be a kind of major operation but a single person can often just leave very quickly and they're off. And so yes, marriage is very, very good indeed. But actually, verse 38, Paul says, those who do not marry do even better. Not in a moral sense, but practically, from a pragmatic point of view, marriage is without, with less worries, more opportunities For those who long to be married, it's very easy to put life on hold. But Paul would urge us to use our singleness for service. And so often it's as we give ourselves to serve others, as we show people hospitality, as we care for others, as we invest in friendships in a costly way, so often we discover new richness in our friendships. Even as we give, we, we get. And for those who are content uh, in your singleness, that can be a very good thing indeed. But it is just worth asking why it is that we are content in our singleness because it is possible to use singleness as an excuse for selfishness. We don't have to compromise or fit in with someone else's plans. But singleness is not meant for self-indulgence, but rather for service. And so are we using our singleness to serve in ways that a married couple cannot? 
perhaps by helping with the young people on a Sunday morning so that a married couple can have time together through a whole service and hear a whole sermon uninterrupted. Or perhaps offering to babysit on a midweek night so they can go to a small group together. Lots of ways that we can be serving as single people that married people can't. Either way, whether we are single or married, this present life is a chance to serve. As we come to a close, I know that even while Paul has been very positive about singleness, for many, singleness is still incredibly hard. It's helpful, I think, to remember what Paul says to slaves just a few verses before our reading tonight. It seems understandably that there are some Corinthians who were slaves who wanted to change their position in life. They didn't want to be slaves anymore. And that was okay to want to be free. But Paul says, verse 21, to slaves, don't let your slavery trouble you. Stay as you are. Paul's not being naive about how hard it is to be a slave. Instead, he goes on to remind them of their new status in Christ. Verse 23, you were bought at a price. Christ now owns you. You belong to him. And belonging to Christ changes everything. And so for a Christian slave to find a way to be content, even in their slavery, is a powerful testimony to the all-sufficient love of Christ and what it means to know him. And in the context, so too in singleness. When a single person, even in the pain and sorrow of singleness, says, belonging to Christ is enough, that is a glorious testimony to the all-sufficient love of Christ. And it's a pointer of things to come. You see, Hollywood tells us a boy meets a girl, and they fall in love, and they live happily ever after. But the gospel story tells us that Christ has come once, and when he came the first time, he came to buy us with his blood. He died on the cross, and, and in just a few moments, we'll share a meal of bread and wine that reminds us that his first coming was a coming of buying with his blood. But the gospel tells us he will come again to bring us home as his bride. And for eternity, it will be Christ's love for us that will be our satisfaction. It will be our enough, our happily ever after story. And so, whether we are married now or single now, our eternal happiness and our eternal security has already been won for us in Christ. Whatever happens now, in these last days of crisis, before we see our Savior face to face. Let me pray. Father, we thank you very much that you love us. We thank you that you gave your Son to die for us. We thank you that he has bought us by his blood. And we thank you that one day he will bring us home as his bride. Father, please thrill us with that day. Please comfort us with what it will mean for us. Father, please help us to be a people who are able to serve you now in whatever place you have put us, confident that one day we will see you face to face and that you will be our all, our enough, our happily ever after. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.